episode 319, The Gift of Adversity, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, live limitless. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one men's development podcast, inspirational stories and strategies to thrive as a man. As a coach, keynote speaker, and best-selling author, it has been my mission going on four years on the podcast to bring you the best, the very best, the struggles, the action, and to share the real journey with you. Together we are stronger. Please subscribe to support the show through ayalpha.com and join the conversation in the Facebook group, Awaken Your Alpha with ALW. Get involved and I'll see you in the inside. Get to the podcast. Hey, and I first want to thank Assistagram. Assistagram. Okay, we've got a great one for you this week. Growth, management, and branding. So jump over to assistagram.us for all your Instagram needs. Now let's get into the show. It's all about adversity this week and overcoming adversity and how adversity can be a gift. We have Marcus Aurelius Anderson on the line. He's a TEDx speaker, author, mindset coach. His recent book, The Gift of Adversity, we're going to dig all into what this is all about. He's a veteran, inspirational story of overcoming adversity. Firstly, Marcus, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Absolutely, my friend. I try to do that every time I wake up, my friend. So this will be perfect. Awesome. So that intro was quite brief that I gave you, kind of but what I like about people that I interview, like you, usually to the point and that clarity is there. But was there anything you'd like to highlight, emphasize, or add to in your introduction? No, I think you covered a lot of it. I, uh, I'm a mindset coach for executives, CEOs, and leaders. Uh, I, I coach a lot of coaches as well recently. I've had a lot of them kind of come into my practice and my fold. But just like you said, everything in there is correct. The, uh, the TEDx talk, the, the book, and then I'm a keynote speaker as well. I'll be speaking a lot more this year, even, even on top of that. So fantastic. I just want to know sort of the origin question. Uh, tell us where you're coming to from, uh, uh, speaking to us from today, and also where are you originally from, and did you want to be when you was growing up? And tell us a little bit about the journey of A to B, how you got to this point. Absolutely. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma now. I was actually born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, but I've lived in South Africa. I've lived in Italy for a while. I lived in Kansas City, Atlanta, New York, different places to get a different feel. I feel like I'm sort of a citizen of the world, as it were. Um, as a boy, I started doing martial arts at 11 years old, so that kind of stoicism, that, that almost that alpha mentality was bred into my fabric. Mm-hmm. as I was growing up. Uh, one of the biggest role models on, my, on me besides my father was my great uncle. He was in special forces in Vietnam mm-hmm. and he was very prominent. He and my father really kind of reinforced what I learned in martial arts about self-control, perseverance, indomitable spirit, humility, loyalty, things of that nature. And you were asking kind of the origins. Uh, when I was 38 years old, that's when I joined the military. And oh, that, wow. Yeah, exactly, that's the look <laughs> I got when I walked into the recruiter's office. <laughs> really what happened but what had happened was i was in chiropractic school and i was preparing to finish my doctorate i was bartending i was in a pub for about 40 hours a week and i was taking all the out these hours and and all this work and i was married at the time but what had happened was i prioritized those things thinking that that would create a priority for my marriage but it did not mm-hmm. and eventually my marriage dissolved and not long after that my great uncle who i just spoke of passed away so I felt myself really questioning, you know, I didn't really feel the ambition to, to finish school at that time because I didn't feel like I had to drive because I, I was sort of hanging my, my hat on, on doing that to create a, a family with my wife. Yeah. And after my great uncle passed, I didn't really know what to do. During his funeral, as a matter of fact, there was a lot of regalia. He was very decorated, 21 gun salute and all that. 
and during taps, the American, that's how you put people to bed, as it were, and uh, that I just lost it. I was trying to be very stoic and proud, but I started kind of breaking down. And in that moment, I realized that I'd always wanted to join the military, but I didn't really have, I always had an excuse. Mm. And now I, at 38, I'm divorced. I have no kids. School can wait. My job can wait as far as I'm concerned. I went to go see the recruiter that Monday morning. 35 is normally the, the maximum. Yeah, I would have thought they wouldn't have let you in, no matter, you know. Yeah, as most people would. What it was is he sent a, he did a release for me because I was in great physical shape. My test scores were off the charts and he's like, you're very motivated. I can tell you want to do this. And then he asked me about my idea as to why I joined. I told him, he's like, we can't get you signed up now if you pass through all the, the physical components. And six months later, I'm getting off the bus, getting yelled at by a drill sergeant at six in the morning. So I love the fact that they've actually got the, the common sense to, you know, bend the rules for like, because you, you can imagine, yeah, like a, a 30 year old or a 20 year old who's kind of just like, eh, just going for the motions. That compared to someone like yourself, who like, like you said, he found out the origin, the reason behind it all. And, you know, I, I love the fact that they actually bent the rules slightly for you. So tell me how that was, though, because, again, I'm going to assume but I'm assuming that when you went into that environment, you might have stood out a little bit because you weren't, you know, 18, 19, 20. How were the looks, number one? And how was the, the mental side of that? And, uh, and how did the, like, the drill sergeants approach you? Did they hammer you a little bit harder or just treat you as everyone else? <laughs> it, it was interesting. I was older than all my drill sergeants. And so, like you said, there was an eyebrow, an eyebrow that was raised and it was kind of... Yeah. Um, you know, they look at your name tape and they're like, uh, one of the drill sergeants asked me, he's like, Anderson, what the hell are you doing here? Did you lose a bet with God? And he was very, uh, you know, very, you know, <laughs> very <laughs> nurturing. No, um, <laughs> but what it was is it was very much when you're in there, they don't really care who you are, what you do. They don't care about any of that because mm -hmm. we're all the team. We're all fighting a common enemy. So they want to build that camaraderie within us. Um, having said that, I did a lot of physical preparation prior to the military because it's one thing to be in shape and it's another thing to be in military. Like if it, I was in the infantry school, so infantry is a whole other level. They're the guys that are at the front of the lines, the tip of the spear, and that's what mm. we do. So um, the thing that helped me was because you're up against guys that are half your age, literally. But what helped me was knowing that I was physically strong enough that helped build my mental resilience. And then it created that cycle where because, because there were younger guys that were breaking their ankles, breaking their wrists, hurting their shoulders, breaking their hips in preparation as we were going through basic. Yeah. The first two weeks, I realized that if I didn't do something bad then, that as long as I could use my mindset, which was my big advantage, then I could absolutely finish this. And I was able to get through it without uh, recycling, without having to start anything over. And, uh, you know, not long from that, I was in upstate New York and my, my division there at uh, 10th Mountain, it's a it's called Fort Drum, and it's actually the uh, it's 30 miles south of the Canadian border, and we specialize in you know the the cold weather training. So, mountain warfare. It's an airborne unit, so there's a lot of components there, and it's a very um, prestigious unit. So I was very humbled and, and lucky to be there. Really interesting. I know you could kind of just sort of skimmed over it slightly, but it's still it's just that mind boggler of like what you're saying, like going in there at 38 and all the things you did there. It makes complete sense, but it's just like. That, that gap really for like 20 years for you as a man from like 18 to 38 like what what was kind of did you feel were you lacking then or not necessarily lacking or that you've got now that you didn't have then that you you know you felt like you was missing something or searching for something well, and I suppose ultimately the reason you didn't go in earlier absolutely the the thing is 
when we're younger, we always assume that we're going to have the time, talent, potential that we always have. Mm. And then we find out as time goes on that some of those possibilities, the, the doors get closed on us because of life happening or, you know, different priorities or different responsibilities. For me, I was going the first year or two in college, I was just sort of going through the motions, taking general studies. I wanted to do philosophy. No, I want to go into, you know, law enforcement. No, I want to go into, mm. you know, criminal justice. No, I want to do this stuff. And I felt myself sort of kicking around and martial arts was always in my life. And uh, I was to the point where I was preparing to move to Las Vegas to be a professional like cage fighter okay. because that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I was really lucky. There was a guy there that was very straightforward with me. He said, listen, you were telling me that you were thinking about going to chiropractic school. He says, would you rather get punched in the head for a living and maybe not get a whole lot of money out of it, but still have all that damage? Or would you rather go to chiropractic school finish it off in six years, be a doctor and be able to help people. He says, you can do either one that you want. He says, but you need to commit to one of these and don't do yeah. it halfway. And that's what I kind of needed to hear. I need somebody to kind of kick me in the butt and say, you know, figure it out. There, there's interest and there's commitment, right? Yeah. When I talk to my clients, yeah. I say that. You can be interested in what we're doing or you can be committed. I'm already committed to you, but you have to be committed as well. So yeah. that's what it was. So he basically kind of drew a line in the sand for me. I lived that lifestyle for about six months and realized that while I was a, a good fighter, I didn't have the drive to want to try to give up everything in my life to do that. So that's why I decided to go back to chiropractic, go into chiropractic school. Did you ever finish that? Because I remember you said that was right near the end when you actually signed up and went into the military. No, I, I had a year and a half left till I would have finished my doctorate. But, um, and that's what happens. They'll, they'll save your place when you go deploy, if that's what you're doing. Yeah. But what happened to me is um, when I got injured, I ended up having, I still have um, numbness a lot of numbness in, in my hands and feet. I can move them now, but yeah. um, I don't have the dexterous capacity or the palpatory, you know, yeah. ability. That makes it, yeah. To do well, yeah, we, you just, just mentioned that. And I know if, obviously people listening might not be aware. We haven't touched that yet. What happened after you got deployed? And really, I suppose, I mean, again, it might not be in your, as your, in your life, but one of the lowest points or when you, you really had to overcome that adversity and probably one of the biggest challenges of your life. It, it absolutely was. And... To, to clarify, I never got to deploy. We were preparing to deploy, and that's when I got that severe spinal injury. I, while we were preparing to deploy, I suffered um, a disc in my neck ruptured, C5 ruptured. And uh, people talk about ruptures or bulges in your disc, but mine was to the point where it was compressing my spinal cord so badly that I literally woke up one morning paralyzed from the neck down. And uh, I went to try to roll out of bed, and my neck would move, but my body wouldn't go. And, yeah. the, and that's where knowledge is, is sort of power. But in, in my case, it was bad because I knew from my chiropractic training from, oh, the, yeah. differential, from the differential diagnosis, I was like, either my body's really sore or I'm paralyzed. And after a few minutes, I realized that that's exactly what had happened. And luckily for me, there was somebody that was going to be knocking on my door early that morning anyway. So that's was sort of my saving grace. They were able to get the door in there and we were on our way to the hospital. And that's when my life turned upside down. Did you sense that coming or was there any warnings of that coming? Was there like pain and injuries or was it kind of like just working really hard and then it kind of like a, a snap or like how, how was the build up to that? And it, it absolutely was. I mean, but the thing is in the military, you're always overcoming your body's pushback. Your body doesn't want to do stuff. Your body's like a, a child. It, it wants to take the path of least resistance and that's why we have to be strong and that's why we have to be the ones in control of our bodies. Having said that, the, even the week prior to it, we had done a 50% ruck, which means you take 50% of your body weight, put it in your rucksack, 
and you're, you're going for like a, a, a light jog for about 15 miles. So we're doing this in the snow, on the ice. And of course, we talk about the alpha mentality. In the military, everybody that's in those units, they're all the alphas in their arena. So now it's like the top echelon of that. So every person that's there, if I'm running, the next guy wants to run faster. Or if, if that unit in front of us, they're trying to go faster. So that's always this, try to outdo the next person. But that's what you have to do if you're preparing to deploy, mm. because that may be the difference between you living in or your buddy dying if you're not prepared. So it, that week, um, I had a lot of pain and numbness in my feet, but I attributed it to being outside because we were in the cold. It's February, negative 20 degrees outside. Mm. You have a gas mask on, you have your you know, body armor on, all your weight on your back. So I was like, that's, that's the norm. But even when I got in and I took a hot shower and was cleaned up, I was looking for signs. I literally was looking for signs of frostbite because I couldn't understand why I was having so much numbness and I couldn't hold onto the pull-up bar, which I've got a very strong grip. So all these things were concerning, but I thought, well, I just need some time to relax or time to, to rest. Yeah. And it didn't get any better. And by the end of that week, I was to the point where I could barely tie my boots or put my socks on. And it was that next morning, whenever it, it all kind of just, I guess whatever was left in my neck gave way. And that's when my body yeah. kind of shut down on me. Well, I, I'm sure looking back as well, and a lot of times it's quite tempting just to say, you know, you were, you were straight into it and you thought, oh, I overcome this. And, you know, you were working way for it, positive, positive, positive. But at ground zero, how long did, did you dwell or how long did you think, oh, crap? Or was there a time when you just thought, oh, you, you, know, you weren't thinking about it. You were just thinking... I'm screwed to a certain point. Like how long, how were them first steps and how long did it take you to start, you know, progressing? And what was that period like? Yeah, it was tough. I, uh, we went into the surgery and, uh, after the fact, I found out that I passed on the, I flatlined twice on the table. So when I was, when I woke up in the ICU, the doctor's like, Hey, we lost you a couple of times. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> you think I was, like, I was right? Well, here, you, yeah. Yeah. How do you lose me? <laughs> Why are you worried? You're the one with, I'm the one getting cut on. But, um, so he, he told me all that. And, and again, I'm still paralyzed. I'm, I'm in a big neck brace now too. And he says, so the good news is we saved your life. The bad news is if you don't walk within the next couple of days, you're probably going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And he says, and honestly, that's, that's what I expect. He said, if, if you are going to walk, it's going to happen in the next couple of days. He's like, but don't bet on it. So, but again, in my mind, you know, I'm optimistic. I've already overcome death. You know, what, what's the worst that could happen, right? Yeah. Talk about a motivator. We talk about like uh, interested or, you know, committed, committed to take action. Like, oh, you've got a couple of days or that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. So, <laughs> so I was very optimistic for the first few days. And mm. then as the days pass and then a week passes and they're like, well, it's been a week. We're getting you the, out of the ICU. We're going to send you back to convalesce. That's whenever it really hit me because now, I couldn't have this like bright, you know, brave face. Mm. Um, I could, all I could do was lay in a bed and just sit there and be angry. And I was angry at the world. I was angry at myself for about three months. Mm. I, I was angry because I had wasted so much time. I turned 40 years old in a bed, broke, divorced, bedridden and paralyzed, trying to figure out what am I going to do with my, my life now? And that was my lowest point. I was literally suicidal, but I couldn't even act on it because of my physical condition so yeah that's that was my lowest my very lowest oh. point because yeah, it feels like complete powerlessness like you said like not that it's a good thing to commit but i'm saying you couldn't even like take matters into your own hands like that you had no control that's what it is and, and for men especially it's really difficult because for us we're very much about what can we do physically what are we doing occupationally what do we 
that is like our definition of what we are. Mm. And here I am, I've used my physicality my whole life. And now I went from like a civilian to being this like upper echelon soldier to now I can't even, you know, take care of myself. So that was a very just brutal, brutal reality to have to face after months of just being angry. And now I want to also preface with, I've done martial arts, I've done, I've understood philosophy my entire life. So even with this knowledge of these ideas of stoicism and, and Taoism and Zen mm. about this idea of, you know, no man is an island, you can't push back against certain things. I was still pushing back with hope against hope against this anger about against this reality that I was facing. And I went into uh, almost like that victim mindset where I, I felt like the, the universe was punishing me for not using all the time and all of the talent that I've been given. Like it was pulling it back from me because it's like, hey, we gave you 40 yeah. years. You're not doing anything with it. So because you're not doing anything with it, we're taking it from you. So while other people at 40 years old are, have been married and they have a family and all this great things to reflect on, I had nothing. And But the great thing is it, it gave me a chance to really have like a clean slate. Hmm. What I started doing was I started looking, the opposite of, of hate is not necessarily love, but it's about gratitude. And I know that everybody talks about gratitude, but people like to cherry pick gratitude and they like to be grateful for the things that they like, mm. but they don't want to be grateful for the stuff that that's not convenient or the stuff that they don't like. So what I started doing was I started to find something to be grateful for while I was alive, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I was living. I was existing. After those months of anger though, I realized that the anger wasn't serving me. And I thought of anything I could think of that would make me grateful. And the only thing I could think of was that we didn't deploy because if I had been overseas and we had been in combat and that had happened, it would have taken at least two people to pick me up. It would have taken the rest of these teams to pull me back. It would have had a helicopter had to come in. It would have had to be a medevac. So I could count probably about 10 to 15 people that I know of that would have been in danger if I would have been injured in combat. And when I realized that nobody else got hurt, that's when I was able to have like small, small cornerstones. Yeah. That's, no, that's, I, again, I hear, you know, you hear lots of people talking about no matter how, you know, traumatic or bad the situation, you've got to work hard to find that, like, you know, that one shining light or that one positive. And that, you know, I've, that's a really good example. Cause I'm, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, yeah, this is going to be tough to find the positives in this, but that's, a, no, that's you, you, they're there if you look hard enough. That's a, you absolutely have to. And once I was able to do that, once I was able to find my, see my adversity as a gift instead of a curse, I started getting movement back in my fingers a little bit. Mm. And then I was able to be grateful for the bed I may never get out of or the room I may never leave because now I'm able to be genuinely grateful for everything. I call it 360 gratitude. So if you can be grateful for you know, winning the lottery and also be grateful for the guy that wants to beat you up in the gym, you're bulletproof at that point because now no matter what happens, it's either a lesson to improve or it's a blessing for you to absorb. And that's the way I look at everything now. And from then on, I never look back. And I promised myself when I was in, in that position that if I ever had the potential, if I ever had the ability to get out of bed and do anything with my life that I would never, because I realized when you're laying there in bed and you can't move, you can think of a lot of stuff. And you realize that some of what we do is because other people want us to do it or what we think is expected of us or what we think their opinion would, should be. And I realized when I was lying there that I didn't want to do a lot of those things that I just wanted to serve teach and and help as many people as i could awesome i love that mindset and I, 
um, this is kind of how we connected very organically for Instagram. I saw, you know, the, the stoicism is like in your post and some of the posts I put and uh, it's, it's great. we got to connect this way. Um, so when you started the turnaround, when did you get fully functioning physically, I guess? And I said, you, I know you said you still got a little bit of feeling in your hands, a little few issues there, but I mean, and then really felt like you, you kind of, you had that ground zero as a fully functioning human and you're like, right now what are you going to do and when did that begin to take shape a bit more and that really led you to you know being an author and going on the TEDx stage absolutely I it took me a year of a physical and occupational rehabilitation to be able to actually be able to walk mm. hold like a glass of water feed myself um, but once I got out once I was medically um, retired I went back to my first love which is the martial arts so I started teaching martial arts and practicing martial arts again and the martial arts really helped me really kind of get back where I was needing to be. Um, you know, holding a blade or a stick really makes, works on your, your dexterity and works on your motor skills. Being able to throw a punch or a kick or being able to do jujitsu, all these are things that really make you get back in tune with your body. It's almost like moving meditation. Hmm. That was the thing that really helped me kind of get back to where I was or maybe even a little bit above where I thought that I was. After that, that's when I started actually coaching people because I, I had a, a student that it was a very well off, lots of business, and uh, we would go to lunch after I would give him a private lesson, and he would tell me what was going on with his business, and I would apply the philosophy that I had just taught him in that lesson and show him up that it would help his business. And he was telling me after you know a few of those, he said, I'm paying a business coach you know 1500 a month, and he's not giving me half the knowledge that you are. And he's like, I should hire you for it. And I thought he was just joking. He's like, so, um, you know, can we do that? And I said, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, and it, and <laughs> yeah, it, I love, I love with like kind of the path unfolds, you know, I love that. The, yeah. I just, just fell into it. And the nice thing too, is when I was went through and got, you know, certified for, for coaching it, all those lessons that I learned from martial arts and all the stuff that we learned as a martial artist, as an instructor, as a coach, as a seafood, as a good or whatever you want to call it, it all came together because the semantics were not important but the accountability was important. Mm. Caring about that person was important. Loving them enough to not let them slide was important. Mm. So I will respect you and, and teach you out of a place of love and respect, but I'm also going to call you on your BS. And I'm going to kick in the ass when you're not doing the work. And that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to be your friend. I'm supposed to help you get better. And you, we, there's going to be times, just like everybody, they're excited at first. Mm. They hit that dip. And that's when everybody gives up, when they hit the dip. Yeah. My job is to be there with you and to say, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to let you give up on yourself. And we're going to power through this thing. And once they get through that and they get to that next level, all of a sudden they're like, wow, it, it's amazing what you can do. But again, it's about commitment. It's about knowing that somebody else, you're not going to have any other choice. One of the quotes I say in my, my speech is that first it gives you no other choice. And when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. That's where commitment really begins. Oh, yeah. And that's what helped me. I started telling people about my story. People were blown away by it. I started speaking here and there. Uh, it got bigger and bigger. I was actually halfway through my book before I was offered my TEDx. And the nice thing is, because so much of the book was written, I was able to put half of that into my TEDx talk. So oh, yeah. like the first half of the TEDx, when I'm talking about the, the manifestation of what adversity is and an adversary, all that's directly from kind of the way I, I speak and the way I teach. Yeah. And then when I started talking about Bruce Lee and these different ideals about what a citizen is and what a human being is, that was more specifically for TED. And once it came out and once that, as you know, as a TED speaker, that's, that's a very, very unique qualification. It's a very 
amazing feather to have in your cap. Yeah. But it's also about what we're supposed to do as a TED speaker is we're supposed to give, we're supposed to be giving an idea we're spreading. Mm. And it's not about us. It's about how can we resonate with more people because the best compliment you can give a speaker or a teacher or an author is not lip service. It's changed behavior. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Right. Because anybody can come up and shake your hand and say, man, I love your speech. I love your book. I love your post. Thank you very much. And um, we're always flattered by that. You and I know that, but if you actually change your behavior and it's a permanent change, even if I never meet you and I don't know who you are, that means so much more to me because I've actually done something. I've actually made that change in you. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what my job is. And that's what I'm trying to do with more people every day. No, that's, that's so interesting to hear sort of when the TEDx talk came along in your journey of writing the book as well. Cause mine was kind of a slightly different timeline in terms of with all this sort of like the podcast waking around these sort of conversations, you know, it can go off in so many different directions. And I think the, the power of the TEDx talk as well is getting that clarity and breaking down your message and what you believe about. And I found that really helpful because it's, you know, 18 minutes maximum and it's, you know, every word counts. You can't just kind of like waffle a bit. You have to, and you have to have that clear structure and that going through that practice helped me get a lot clearer and, you know, and ultimately I felt a lot more powerful and just going through that. And then also, because I did it in that order that when it went on to the book now, that really was the three main sections of my book were the, you see them in the TEDx talk. So it's, uh, no, it's really interesting to hear that. And uh, no, it's a great approach on that. Kind of start to go into the alpha round and this, I think it's going to fit in nicely. Perfect. Amongst all of this, is there a, a quote or that you like to live your life by? You might have said versions of it already. <laughs> or, a, or just a favorite quote of all time. You, you know, is there anything that jumps to mind when someone asks you? Man, there are so many that come to mind. Um, I really love Marcus Aurelius. I love his quote where he says, um, if it is endurable, then endure it. Mm. If, it, if it's something that you can stand, then stand it. Don't sit there. Don't cry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, in my book, I talk about this, but my great uncle took me hunting one time. Um, it was very cold. We're deer hunting and we're out there and I'm shivering and, and I look at him and he's just this pillar of stoicism, the strength. And again, you look at what he's been through in Vietnam and all the combat and stuff. So that to him, it's not a big deal, but he looks at me and I'm, you know, 10 or 11. He says, are you cold? I said, yeah. And he says, uh, here's what you need to do. Cause I look at him. I was like, aren't you cold? He's like, He's like, I'm cold, but I'm doing something and I'm going to give you the secret. What you're focused on is the cold, the hardship. What you should be focused on is the hunt, the purpose. If you think about the cold, it will beat you. If you think about the hunt, you will forget about the cold. And guess what? Now you will be able to shoot true. Now you can bring meat back. He asked me, he's like, do you want to go back to the fireplace or do you want the hunt? Because he said the fireplace will always be there, but the hunt may not. So you can decide. And he gave me a choice at that age, what I wanted to do. And the fireplace sounded great, but what he said made more sense to me. And that was kind of like a big pivotal point in my life, I believe, because that really made me embrace hardship, embrace adversity, because I know that that's the catalyst that will make me go to that next level. And once you're through adversity and when you look back on it, most of the time you're much stronger and you learned a lot and you're glad that you went through it as opposed to allowing that to be your set point of development because you're only as strong as the adversity that you overcome. And that's the reality. I usually asked this earlier in the interview, but it, it kind of sounded very situational. Um, and I know this, this figure you've mentioned a few times now, it could be him, but I don't want to assume. So I just want to give you the chance to <laughs> let me know. 
who helped awaken your alpha? You've mentioned your uncle several times in kind of the situation around your injury. So I kind of assumed, naughty me, but <laughs> who helped awaken your alpha? My, he did, but um, my father did and martial arts did as well. Um, you know, if you're trying to do martial arts when you're little and uh, you're told that you can't use the restroom until you do 50 push-ups on your knuckles when you're in martial art class and then you're told after the fact, well, actually you can't now because you should have done that before you left. Again, these are things that kind of build that hardcore accountability in us, but that's what kind of made me embrace that knowledge. And I, I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for that, because I don't know if I would have been able to really access those, those lessons. Because just like I said before, I knew all this stuff. I knew that I shouldn't be resisting this adversity, even when I was paralyzed. But it is so easy to be philosophical about somebody else's pain. You see your buddy going through a bad develop, a bad relationship. You're like, man, they shouldn't be doing that. Why are you doing that? But if you're the one that's in there, all of a sudden now we want to be the exception to the rule. It doesn't apply to us because it's us. And that's what it is. Adversity doesn't really care. Yeah. I mean, and just jumping on that as well. It's like, it's so easy to be, you know, when things are going well it, you know, and thriving, it's easy then to, like you say, to have these discussions, to talk about this, to apply things. But I think when it all starts hitting the fan, you know, again, looking at that, trying to, you know, take the positives this time i try and think of you know this is this is the time where you you your training counts ultimately this is when your your routines and your practices they are more important now when you're thriving yeah it's good to do it but really it all starts when situations sometimes out of your control life like you say adversity comes that's when you really got to you know really apply what what you know and actually put it into practice it's more important then absolutely and we don't really know what we believe until all we have left are those beliefs, mm. right? Because you and I can talk about philosophical ideals or, or things that we think that we believe, but we're talking in this safe vacuum. So you just like you see somebody that says, oh, if this would have happened, I would have done that. And then if you see them in the heat of battle, they fold. Mm. Other people that you thought that if they were attacked by somebody that they would just grovel on the floor and they're ones that come out like lions. We don't really know what we're going to do until we're facing it. So that's why it's so important to have these philosophies firmly affixed within you before something happens because if you wait until the time it's too late you probably will not be able to do what you think you should be doing in that moment and that's why it's so important to do it every single day in some capacity I, every day i seek out adversity in some manner whether it be physically with the workout whether it be mentally by pushing myself whether it be philosophically by intentionally reading something that i disagree with so that I can find out why the hell don't I like that? Why do mm. I disagree with that? What part of that? Is that telling me something about myself or is that saying something because I feel inadequate about this belief? There's all these things that we can do if we're willing to be really honest and frank with ourselves. That's how we can get there. And that's where martial arts is great too. No matter how badass you think you are, there's somebody else out there that can beat you up and he's probably in your gym. So <laughs> if you have the arrogance about you, it'll probably get cold pretty quickly. And the best thing about it is you learn more from a loss and you do a victory anyway. So I try to find that in everything I do. Awesome. I'm really interested in this one. I'm going to remove your own book for you. We can obviously we recommend that, but what is one of your all time favorite books? And this could be the same one, but or what is another book that you recommend to people or you sometimes gift to people, maybe to clients? Absolutely. The, it's funny to me. Um, you're a, you're an author, so you're familiar with Stephen Pressfield. Oh you're familiar, yeah, you're familiar with the War of Art. Let me see it. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally the only book yeah. that was separated. There it is. The hand just there. Beautiful. Uh. <laughs> and that's the one that I love. That's the one I recommend. Uh, in 2017, I was I was teaching. I was speaking all the time. I had my coaching clients. I was trying to finish my book. I was preparing for my TEDx. 
So that I was covered up that whole year. But I would pick that up and I would look through there and I just hear Pressfield just basically verbally kicking me in the ass. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And it's just that's what you need. You do that little push. So I think that book is invaluable. And a lot of people don't know about it. So I think if you haven't picked that one up, you owe it to yourself to pick it up. Another book that is not as heard of is uh, Thick Face Black Heart by Chin and Chu. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> look at you. Wow. <laughs> but no i agree this one is this one is really off the radar a bit but this is wow it's it's phenomenal and in a lot of ways if you you'll see quotes from that in my book you'll see feelings from that in my book because i try to take i talk about my story i talk about my hardship and then i talk about overcoming it then i keep talking about practical life lessons mm. and interweave it into a manner so that it's informative but it's also entertaining because i don't know if you've heard the statistic but I've read anywhere from like 50 to 70% of people do not finish a book. They may mm, buy it. I didn't know that stat, but I, I yes. kind of thought it might be around there. Yeah. So they may love the book, but they may not finish it. And while you and I may still make the money off the book, you and I are not about making the money. Oh, that is so upsetting to think of that. Yeah. Just, Oh, that's, that's yeah. it. So that's, and even the same thing when a person does like an info product, if I like just release an info product, you know, into the wild and said, here, go with it. A lot of people won't finish all the modules. Hmm. So if all I care about is money, I got paid. I don't really care, but that's not what it's about. It's about making that impact and helping that change in behavior. Who do you recommend or who do you think from your network would be a good guest for the Awakening Alpha podcast? When you, you think of this and what we've been talking about and the whole vibe, you think this person pops to mind. You've already had Toph on, haven't you, Toph Evans? No, I haven't. You need to. <laughs> you absolutely need I to. Haven't. Evan, he's an Aussie, yeah? Tell us a little bit of a little bit of background for the listeners as well, like a teaser trailer. Because, man, he's amazing. He's amazing. He actually is uh, writing articles for Red Bull now. He's like an ultra athlete, endurance ultra endurance type athlete. But he and I kind of connected. He uh, he loved the art, the name of my book, and then he was telling me about his book that's just come out. So we kind of connect on that level. He would be great for for what you're ah, talking about. Here. Awesome, awesome. No, I'd love it if you could. What advice would you give to someone? you know, who's maybe got a message or wants to help more people and wants to get it out there. You know, we've talked about the, the books and the, uh, the speaking or sort of the TEDx talking, but what advice would you give to someone who wanted to then, you know, take the next step and more, you know, develop that side of things? Yeah. It, a lot of it depends. Um, you and I, I we're, we're speakers. Um, I, I call people presenters or speakers, people that are just showing a whole lot of, you know, PowerPoints or a lot of pictures. <laughs> yeah. Those are presenters and there's nothing wrong with that because they're probably presenting material, that, but they're more of a teacher capacity. People like you and I, we speak. So we're trying to give people knowledge. We're trying to inspire in spirit. We're trying to motivate, but we're not trying to give them external motivation. We're trying to awaken the motivation that they already have within themselves. And that's the idea. Having said all that, I've got an article on LinkedIn and it's called, how do I get a TED talk? Comma, you're asking the wrong question because so many people want a TED talk because mm. they want to do it for their personal brand or they think they can sell from the stage or they want it for notoriety and their motivation is skewed. Mm. So we have to be doing it for our audience. So if you have expertise in something and it doesn't mean you have to have gone through what I've gone through. And let's be honest, there are people that have been through much worse than I've been through. So if you have some expertise in something, whether it be technology, whether it be overcoming adversity, sobriety, whatever it is, Find out what that is. Find out people that will, that need that knowledge and then start speaking on that subject matter. If you want to do it just in an informative manner, by, by all means do that. But understand what you're trying to accomplish 
and understand that you need to be giving before you ask for anything. As a matter of fact, it's a lot better to try to just give, 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 give. Just like in a TEDx speech, we know that, right? I'm not yeah. allowed to go up there. I'm not going to pimp out my book anyway. But if your TED Talk is good, if you're a great, powerful speaker and you provide quality, people talk about value. But to me, the word value has been used so much that it's lost its value. So if you can give quality, value is already baked into that. Mm. Knowledge is useful. That information is already baked into that. So if you can give that quality, people will seek you. People will start finding you. My TEDx had less than 5,000 views on it. And I had people already trying to connect to me, tell me that they sent to somebody else, telling me that they had a friend that was suicidal and they heard, they saw it or whatever it is. Uh, powerful. And that's one thing I like about speaking as well. Like, like you say, over quality in, in terms of quantity, it could be a hundred people see it, but it's like, you never know who's in the room. You never know who's watching the other side of the, you know, on the YouTube video. I mean, it only takes one or two of the right people. Like, and like you say, to help someone, that's so powerful. That's exactly it. That's, that's the purpose. We, we look what the intention is. And, and my intention is to help empower as many people as I can with the time that I have left. My definition of what an alpha is, is um, there are a lot of people that will, you know, bloviate and beat their chest. But a lot of those people are doing that because they're actually questioning. They're actually like sort of like doing a roar to see if there's any actual alphas in the vicinity. <laughs> and then if nobody calls them on their BS, then they're like, oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> I, love, I love the way you put that. That's, good. And that's, how, that's what they do. Um, but if you're an alpha, you're a person who you don't have to have this arrogance. You have this quiet confidence and an alpha if you look at like an alpha male with like a, a lion with his lioness lionesses you can have like a young lion walk into the pride he's not going to do anything he's going to kind of sit there and look at him he's like okay whatever then whenever the guy starts doing something stupid then he's like okay now i'm gonna get up and once you wake him up you you better make sure you're ready to go the whole distance and that's kind of what it is everybody's so excited to especially with social media they want to loviate and pontificate about how much they know or how big of a badass they are but the reality is if you're good at what you do and you want to help people you don't need to make a big deal about it you need to just do it so well that other people talk about it for you and that's what i i try to do direct light from us to other people is fine but like having any kind of light reflected off of you because of the impact that you make on other people in my mind is much more powerful and much more concentrated but what are some of the you know common problems or issues or challenges that when people just you know start come to you and start working with you that you you find or you have to help them overcome? Man, you'd be so surprised. the The big one is that what I do when I coach people is I make them do the work with me. So if you're telling me, "Hey, I had this problem," what 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 should I do? I already know what you should do. I already have an idea of what I think you should do, but that doesn't help you. Yeah. I ask you, okay, Adam, what do you think you should do? What do you think is the real problem here? And even if you're way off base, we're going to explore that. We're going to unpack that. I'm going to pull on that thread and we're going to figure out what that is. And we're going to get all the way to the end of that. And then I'm going to give you my advice and it's going to build on that. Mm. Now, if I just give you the advice, it doesn't help you. Yeah, I completely agree. It's so tempting, isn't it? And you, you almost, I feel sometimes that the client wants you to do that in a weird way. And you, like you say, you have to be more the, like the calm out and just, you know, take your time and, you know, pull it out because a lot of times people know deep down what they should be doing. <laughs> they do. They absolutely do. There's an elephant in the room and lots of times they just, it's to their advantage for some reason to avoid it. And so my job is I find the elephant in the room, I point it out and we both lead it out of there and then we dam up the wall so we can't get back in. And that's what you have to do. If you're not doing something like that, again, if I just tell you, hey, 
well, I want you to think about this after a while at the call, but here's what I want you to do. You're not going to think about it after the call. You're going to go back to what you're doing and start applying what I'm doing. And the idea is to, if one teach to learn, and I want to give you enough knowledge that you can actually use it right now, but also it can permeate later on. So that hopefully, you know, a week from now, you're like, oh, there's another level to that. And that's the knowledge that I want to give people. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good way to kind of try and wrap it up. So anyone listening, what is the elephant in the room that you're avoiding? <laughs> you know, you know what we're talking about. You know, you know. <laughs> don't act like you don't. Awesome. Um, and what's the best way people can connect if they want to find out more? Absolutely. They can go to my website, MarcusAureliusAnderson.com. It's all one word. You can find me on all social media like that, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, if you want to find out about the, the bootcamp that I have with Jaden Crumb III, it's uh, just called High Performer Bootcamp. You can find that if you just search it. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really do appreciate it. And I know time is the most important asset we have. Please do subscribe and leave a short review. Head over to ayalpha.com to get any goodies that are going on the website at the time and awaken your alpha with ALW, the Facebook group, and get on the inside, join the conversation, and please do support the show. I'm going to recommend it to your friends. This is the number one men's development podcast for inspirational stories and strategies for us all to thrive. This show is sponsored by Assistagram for your growth, branding, and Instagram management needs. Head over to assistagram.us. If you've got any questions, please do ask me or go direct to Zach and the team.